Imagine a world where innovation knows no bounds. At BAE Systems Fast Labs, we're pioneering advanced technology and defense research, shaping the future of safety and security. Explore our website to uncover a realm of cutting-edge projects, collaborations, and visionary thinkers. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, a defender of freedom, or just curious, Fast Labs is where groundbreaking solutions are born. Join us and be part of the future today. Visit www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs. Welcome to From the Crow's Nest, a podcast on electromagnetic spectrum operations, or EMSO. I'm your host, Ken Miller, Director of Advocacy and Outreach for the Association of Old Crows. You can follow me on Twitter at FTCN Host. Thank you for listening. In this episode, I am joined by Colonel Joshua Kozlov, Commander of the U.S. Air Force 350th Spectrum Warfare Wing. Uh, some of our listeners are well aware the U.S. Air Force has been taking some concrete steps to improve its ability to achieve and maintain superiority in electromagnetic spectrum. Uh, the Spectrum Warfare Wing was established about two years ago, uh, following several landmark reports and studies that all basically said the same thing. We are falling behind and the status quo is not working. Um, and if you listen to the show regularly, you will hear that same message echoed episode after episode. So we're very excited about the, the progress the Spectrum Warfare Wing has been making. Um, and of course, you know, this follows on with the formation of the Enterprise Capability Collaboration Team in 2018. The, D, the uh, Department of Defense EMS Superiority Strategy in 2020, a separate Air Force Superiority Strategy in 2021. So all these efforts brought together focused on leadership, technology integration, and reinvigorating a culture of EMS awareness. Uh, so it's been very exciting at, to see the successes of the 350th Spectrum Warfare Wing and, of course, their ambitious plan to grow here in the coming years. So I'm looking forward to talking with Colonel Koslov about the challenges they are facing, uh, particularly with you know, filling the, the, the necessary personnel, addressing some training concerns, and the need for integrating EW capabilities into the joint force operations. We're also going to touch on some of their plans for growth and the activation of the 950th Spectrum Warfare Group and the FMS uh, Reprogramming Center through the 68th Electronic Warfare Squadron. So without further delay, I welcome Colonel Josh Kozlov to From the Crow's Nest. Colonel Kozlov, it's great to be here with you today. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Miller, and thank you to all of the uh, AOC members from across the world in the United States. I'm really fortunate to have the opportunity to address, uh, work with you today on this podcast. I've been an AOC lifetime member since I was a second lieutenant, and I just really value the organization, particularly the scholarship and opportunities you guys provide to younger folks that are interested in STEM out there. So uh, it's great to talk to you, AOC Nation. Go Crows! We're looking forward to having your participation at our uh, 60th convention here in December and uh, some other activities coming up on the horizon, which we'll get to on the show here. So our show continues to grow, but most of our listeners, I think, have an idea of who you are, what you do. But as we continue to grow, I'm sure we have some new listeners out there. So just to kind of at the top 30,000 foot level, could you give us a little bit of uh, an intro into the 350 Spectrum Warfare Wing, what your mission is, and and kind of what, what was the forcing function to get you started up here a couple years ago? 100%, absolutely. You know, it's no secret that as the global war on terror occurred, we kind of took a EW and EMSO, now it's called Electromagnetic Spectrum Operations, took a backseat to some of the things that other things, other capabilities that we needed as a joint force. And the DOD, the Department of Defense, recognized that. 
and they executed a series of studies. The Air Force also executed a series of studies, and that study was called the EMSO Superiority Strategy. And one of the things it said we had to do was organize in the spectrum better, and we had to professionally develop our people that are spectrum operators better. And so of that, they just, they decided to create the three, the Air Force created the 350th Spectrum Warfare Wing. It's an ACC wing underneath the United States Air Force Warfare Center, which is charged to do operational test and training integration across the United States Air Force. And so the wing's primary job, we were about two years old, we are two years old now, is we have three key missions. The first mission is rapid reprogramming, which is basically modernizing the old school mission data e-wear process for your listeners are a little bit more familiar than most. And I'll talk more about that as the interview goes on. The second critical mission is uh, target and waveform development. So never before has the Air Force had an organization or an agency that developed new capabilities, new targets at the speed of need uh, for our EW platforms and, and potentially for other platforms as well. And then finally, our third mission is assessment. And when I say assessment, really what I want the, uh, the listeners to understand is really it's about readiness assessment and how capable and ready is our EW force to fight against our pacing challenge, which is China. And so those are our three broad missions. We're at Eglin Air Force Base in Florida, nice and sunny down here. But we also have uh, some folks in uh, San Antonio, Texas, you know, the famed 453rd Tigers, Every Crow a Tiger are in San Antonio, Texas, one of our squadrons. And then we have some folks out of Las Vegas as well. And I know we'll touch on it in a, in a few questions here, but we're expanding to Robbins Air Force Base, Georgia, and building a whole nother operations group out there to tackle the assessment mission. I'll close with uh, just on recognizing the, the wing. is Today we have two operations groups, the 350th Spectrum Warfare Group. And uh, for lack of a better term, they do all of our rapid reprogramming. And we have the 850th Spectrum Warfare Group, which does a lot of our target waveform development and data curation and management. And we're going to grow the 950th, which will have our assessment mission um, as we go forward in the next couple of weeks. That's great. And, you know, I think one of the real encouraging things about, you know, watching the the, the growth of the 350th here over the last couple of years is for those of us who have been in this space for decades, really, we understand that there is study after study after study after study from DOD to each of the services, you name it. And then they come up with great recommendations, we cheer, and then nothing happens. This was certainly a different outcome than we are used to for the Air Force in terms of the study that they did and kind of the results that we're seeing and you know the creation of your wing and all that you're uh, accomplishing. Could you talk a little bit about that realization or that moment in time where the Air Force actually got it or finally got it, you know, in terms of, hey, we are in trouble here looking forward. And now we are resourcing, building and growing this organization the way we need to. First, I'll start with for your, your listeners, who many of them have been working in this space for decades. You know, some of the folks out there that are legends have been working in this space for 40 and 50 years that I have the opportunity to work with. And electronic warfare in the Air Force has always been a cycle. You know, uh, before Desert Storm, there was a two-star command, and there was an Air Force Electronic Warfare Center, and it ran all of EW for the United States Air Force. And those capabilities that those guys developed are what led to our dominance in Desert Storm, along with our amazing uh, command and control capabilities. But over time, that atrophied, and we started getting into some lexicon battles and calling EW, IO, and IW, and and these kind of things. And our skill sets and our platforms drifted off. And uh, we got really weak in the environment. And now, just like you said, we have uh, taken action again and put a commander in charge of 
uh, electronic warfare for the United States Air Force. I think what's really unique about that, what drove that, I should say, is the realization that the, the world is dark and full of terrors. Our pacing challenge, China, has invested heavily in uh, the soft underbelly of United States capability, which is the spectrum, which is space, which is anti-command and control, all in an effort to keep us out of interfering with what they think is their backyard. They have some significant capability that we needed an ability to uh, counter ourselves and to be more aggressive against. Russia also has a significant amount of electronic warfare capability that uh, was targeted specifically against the United States uh, forces, uh, joint forces specifically, but in general, the Air Force is the most rapid and responsive and lethal of the four forces. And so those electronic warfare capabilities generally were devoted specifically to uh, countering our abilities to uh, penetrate air defenses and, and kill things. And so that created a really big problem for the United States Air Force as we uh, began to build our next generation of platforms. And then I would say just the world changed a little bit in GWAT as we saw that uh, electronic warfare became very democratic, if you will, in its use. It's not very hard to build a jammer and with uh, low-cost uh, investment, have strategic impacts. We saw that in the IED fight. We've seen that in the counter-UAS fight. And so our leaders really understood that we need to create a cadre of people and organizations that are capable of strategically competing in order to meet our operating concepts of the future and protect our, and, and to be more lethal in the future. You know, as, as you're explaining all this, you know, my mind is going to a great book by the author, and he's a, also a journalist, Fred Kaplan. It's called Dark Territory. And it was it's about the history of U.S. cyber war. But the notion of this going into dark territory, not really knowing what to expect, and you really don't know what the outcome is on the other side, is, is I think, an analogy that can extend to certainly electromagnetic warfare and the Air Force and everything that we're doing in the EMS. I, I want to go back to you know your priorities and talk a little bit about those in terms of how they're addressing specific challenges. You know, you mentioned three key things, uh, rapid reprogramming, uh, target and waveform development, and then assessment. And so, you know, you, you have your your legacy piece because obviously it's not always about the new aircraft. It's about trying to integrate the, the, the legacy platforms. You have innovation and you have readiness. Could you talk about those three and how specifically they're addressing unique challenges that you're facing on a day-to-day -day basis? So I'm going to do that by, by telling you a story. I want you to kind of squint as you're, unless you're driving while you listen to this podcast, I want you to close your eyes a little bit and think about war with China. And we're, we're fighting uh, in the South China Sea, the Straits of Taiwan. Uh, you pick the location. And I want you to picture a four ship of F-35s leading the way for a strike chain of bombers who are going to shoot long-range weapons in order to kill boats uh, that are trying to put a landing force on, on, a, on a piece of real estate. The data that's residing in that F-35 is the best data possible. It's the best electronic warfare data that there is at that moment in time. That uh, leader of that four-ship, Bolt-01, is leading her four-ship into, into dangerous ground knowing that she has the best capability possible at that moment. But the enemy gets a vote. Right. And so she's going to be her, her platform, her airplane, that F-35 is going to be shot down by a Chinese uh, SAM surface to action, a surface to air missile, excuse me. And because there's a war reserve mode that we did not have accounted for in her data file that was running inside of her jet. And so hopefully what we need to have happen is for that war reserve mode to get communicated back to the electronic warfare uh, capability developers at Eglin Air Force Base and the Spectrum Warfare Wing, who then will take that war reserve mode and develop new combat capability 
and then push that combat capability back out to the edge as quickly as possible. And not just to the F-35, but push that out to the bombers, push that out to our C-2 platforms, push that out to our penetrating ISR platforms, push that out to the Space Force, make it available to all of the Air Forces and the Joint Forces platforms so that we always have the best uh, data available in our jets. Our moonshot to make that happen is three hours. I need five things to make this happen, okay? So that's a that's the narrative. The, what we're doing in the Spectrum Warfare when to get after this are five key things. The first one is crowdsource flight data, or if you're in the military, CSFD. I know some of us speak in acronyms. Um, but basically what that is, is taking data off of prioritized jets, electronic warfare data, prioritizing and weighting the types of data we want from the platforms we want, and being able to use it across all of the weapon systems. And so instead of an industrial production-based timeline of data like we've always done in the United States Air Force when it comes to EW, we're really democratizing the use of data. Now, to make that possible, you need what I call data architecture, right? And so a data arch- or what I call a data lake, excuse me, but what we really need is data curation, data tagging, being able to have multi-level security, management of all that data. So that data that is being collected off the crowdsource flight data platforms needs to go somewhere. And so we need the capabilities to store that data and be able to access that data at timings and places of our choosing. In order to move that data, you need a, a compath, right? And so that compath is uh, ABMS, and the EW side of ABMS is called electromagnetic battle management. And we have to have that capability in order to move that data off the edge, that war reserve mode that just killed Bolt 01, and get it back to our reprogrammers. You have to have a communication platform in order to do that. Now, I'm going to pause there for just a second. If you can move the data back to Eglin, and Eglin can move the data to the reprogrammers, and the reprogrammers can move it back out to the edge, you've solved our first key mission, which is rapid reprogramming. Now, here comes the great part about this is the data is what gives us our advantage against our peer competitors, specifically China and Russia. And the things you can do with that data will make us more lethal in the future. So to achieve our target and waveform development goals, you then make that data that's residing in the data architecture available to our target and waveform developers. We share it with industry, we share it with academia, and you can develop uh, new waveforms that uh, are offensive waveforms much faster than we've ever done in the past. Now, what will make that even more quick is a buzzword that some of your folks are going to get mad at you because I call it a buzzword. I get this every time, so I'm just prefacing you. You're going to get some hate mail. Cognitive EW. There are folks out there that think there's going to be boxes out at the edge that are making learning, making decisions, and jamming things or attacking things on the fly based on the algorithms. I believe in that future, but that capability on the edge is probably 10 to 15 years away in a way that's going to be considerable to have effects that meet the Joint Force Commander's objectives. But what is not 10 to 15 years away is that once you have all that data collected somewhere, developing the algorithms and the machine learning capabilities to speed up both the rapid reprogramming process and the target waveform development process. And so when you make that data available to our engineers, industry's engineers, and academia's engineers, you're able to bring that future faster because we're able to have a data set required to train these types of things that are uh, the cognitive EW types of things that are, are out there today. AI requires data. We've got to collect the data. We've got to be able to move data quickly to create our advantage. And then the fifth thing is really the ability to assess that whole chain and not just say, this system is capable against this one threat, but how do all of our systems interact in the electromagnetic environment in order to reduce risk uh, for the Joint Force Commander 
and execute operations. And so the five things are the same one more time, crowdsource flight data, data architecture, cognitive VW, electromagnetic battle management, and assessment. This is great stuff, and you know, as you're as you're explaining this, my mind is going to kind of two two thoughts. The first is that you know, at, within the FCA, I, I do advocacy, and so one of the things that we always talk about here, and you know, in in the advocacy circles, is this idea of being prepared for that second and third and fourth order effect. That you know, you don't you can't just have a singular mission and expect a result and then it stops it, it that's going to lead to a, something else and 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 keeps going on and you have to be prepared for that and i think that you know outlining those five things kind of shows that that's where the air force's head is and you know, obviously that's where your mission is i think the other thing is also you know and this kind of gets into what i want well first it's great to hear how closely you are focused on integrating what you do with the joint force too in our history as electronic warfare, oftentimes we look at very service-specific solutions. We look at problems from a very service-centric perspective. That has really changed dramatically. Uh, some of it with the, a lot of it with the EMS superiority strategy and so forth. I think your mission and how you've grown here has been great. And, and, and any response to that or, or comment? I would say thank you first, but uh, you know the, the way I really answer that is, and I really appreciate the advocacy, it's important that you brought that up is because what we have to do as a, as a joint force is understand that uh, the spectrum, while not listed as a domain by DOD, and we're not going to bring up old, old fights, but it is a global common. And the spectrum is inherently coalition, and it's inherently joint. And so we have to be able to work with our joint counterparts in order to share this data. The, that data architecture that I described, I want to share that with my joint partners as well. I would say just, uh, and I, I don't think I mentioned it earlier, but the spectrum warfare wing is uh, actually a coalition and a joint wing. Uh, we have uh, joint partners assigned to us, and we have coalition members assigned to our wing. And so it's a we're we're really trying to tread that future, bring the future faster in that regard. And so obviously, none of this is done with just five, ten people. You have, uh, I think, twelve, twelve hundred, uh, over a thousand people right now. You have plans to grow, and some of those plans are already coming to fruition. So I want to talk a little bit about some of those. You know, before we, we started the interview, we were talking about a very big event here coming up very shortly this month uh, with the assumption of command of a new detachment out at Warner Robins Air Force Base in uh, middle Georgia. And then you have some other activities. So, you know, could you share with us a little bit about your growth plan and how that ties into really thinking not just about the problem today, but the problem in the next five years? So first, there's growth that's happening. I'm going to talk about Eglin growth first, and then I'll talk about uh, the Robbins growth. And so right now at Eglin, we are about uh, a little under 1,200 people. Believe it or not, we have over 400 vacancies in the wing today before we start our growth out of Robbins Air Force Base, Georgia, for the 950th Spectrum Warfare Group. Part of that is just the way you structurally build an organization in the Air Force. It takes some time to, to, get, some, to get your unit manning documents built and stuff like that. But this is a major growth area, and we are really trying to attract talent to the Florida Panhandle to work with us. We have interns that work with us over the summer, and we have recruiters going out to all the major universities trying to attract talent. And uh, it's not just the double E's that we need. We need uh, data analysts. We need uh, folks that are just regular engineers. Physics is great. Or just folks that uh, want to work in the field and can and learn technical things. Like uh, it's, it's possible. Right. And so there's a lot of vacancies here. So to our folks that are listening across the world in the United States, 
our jobs are all listed at USA Jobs. There's a bunch of them out there, and, and we really need you to come out here, particularly the, the young folks. So growth in Georgia, the 950th Spectrum Warfare Group is going to stand up out there as part of the J-STARS, the Air Force's J-STARS divestiture plan. And so right now today, we're going to build, uh, we're going to put 300 people out there over a phase period of time. Our first two units are actually going to stand up this year. The full 300-person complement won't be there. But the purpose of the 950th Spectrum Warfare Group will be assessment and readiness of the United States Air Forces and the Joint Forces' capability to fight in the spectrum. And the first, uh, so we already have the first unit in that group built. It's called the 87th Electronic Warfare Squadron. Most of your audience will know it as Combat Shield. And so really, for those of you that are familiar with Combat Shield's mission, we have to take it from four to 11 is really what we're doing across the force, right? And so what we're going to assess is uh, spectrum operations and large force exercises. How do packages of aircraft and joint forces work together to achieve joint force commander's objectives? We're going to assess waveforms against specific targets and how they interact both with uh, blue and with red. We're going to continue to assess our platforms and their capabilities against the most modern threats. And we're going to get into being able to develop very specific tactics, techniques, and procedures that allow us to execute the long-range kill chains that we're going to have to in the future at a much faster tempo. And so we're really excited about that. So October 25th, we stand up the first two units out of Robbins, and I'm really looking forward to joining the Robbins Air Force Base community and really the fabric of that uh, Warner Robbins uh, neighborhood and uh, really getting involved with, with the community there as we grow that mission, which I think, personally, I think of the missions we do today, the 950th Spectrum Warfare Group's readiness mission has the potential to be the most important mission and unit in our wing. Well, thank you. And, you know, we are looking forward, AOC, to, to coming down there and, and, and to participating and observing that. I think it'll be a great opportunity and greatly appreciate the invitation to attend. Uh, you, you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, you know, I think it's, it's important to reiterate with uh, when you're talking about your mission, it's not you're, you're mainly located in Eglin. You really have your fingerprints in a lot of different areas out, out in Las Vegas, uh, in Dallas Air Force Base, and San Antonio, and Warner Robins, and so forth. But you've mentioned numerous times about you know working with coalition partners, and obviously this is an international space. Could you talk a little bit about the six? I, was it sixty eighth Electronic Warfare Squadron, and kind of that mission, and how you're connected with that in terms of helping uh, work with our coalition partners? One hundred percent. The sixty eighth Electronic Warfare Squadron is an FMS squadron that services, provides EW support to over 31 nations. It's a massive dollar amount of uh, FMS money each year. And what the 68th does great is that it builds partnerships with the folks that we may have to fight side to side with in future conflicts. And I won't list the countries just for, for OPSEC purposes, but if we were going to fight in the Pacific or we fight in Europe, those countries are alongside of us, and we're already working on their cap advancing their EW capabilities. Just a phenomenal mission. And what's really exciting about that mission is we do that today, also not just in the 68th, but in the F-35 role. Our partner services complex uh, unit helps staff the uh, Australian-Canadian UK reprogramming lab and the Norwegian-Italian reprogramming lab and make sure that all of the other F-35s in the world have mission data required to do their missions. So not just the 68th, but our whole wing has the, has a very strong coalition of focus to it. And so I'm really proud of the 68th. And in fact, if we fight in the Pacific ever, the first U.S. Air Force airmen to fight will be airmen in the 68th Electronic Warfare Squadron. And their data will be among the first data that meets up with uh, red systems. 
So in, in thinking about, you know, obviously we have the current fight taking place over in Ukraine and, and obviously everybody's attention really from, you know, from our perspective in here in the ARC, you know, we're already kind of, we are looking at the Indo-Pacific region. Obviously, when you, one of the things that you've talked about with innovation, uh, you know, technology, not only are you preparing to fight, but you're also having to be thinking about what the technology is coming on the line. You talked a little bit about the, the target and waveform development. Could you shed some light on any other or additional cutting edge technologies or innovations that are being explored in the field of EMS, in the field of MSO from your wing's perspective and kind of where, what are some of the areas that you're particularly excited about uh, that development taking place? I think the most exciting one is going to be is software, right? And so electronic warfare for a long time has been a hardware focused uh, effort. You know, I'm a compass call guy, EC-130 guy by trade. We measured upgrades based on hardware and less about the OS. The OS would make some changes, but in general, the OS, the operating system was the operating system, right? And so the new capabilities that are coming to the United States Air Force and the Joint Force are driven by software, and they're driven by being agile, and they're driven by being rapid. And so we're not chained to these massive systems anymore, which is really going to make data the most important part of getting to meeting combat effects and, and having a meeting objectives for the Joint Force Commander. And that's really an exciting place to be. And so I think that's the number one thing is as the Joint Force works towards achieving uh, decision superiority and an overmatch in order to meet our objectives, the way you're going to do that is by moving data quickly. And the way you're going to make data move quickly is through good pipes and good software. And that's just fascinating and exciting. And it's really cool to be on. What I would say is really the ground floor of the of software-defined electronic warfare capes. I think the second kind of thing that I think is fascinating and interesting is the Ability to take what's new, like software, and that rapid and agile DevSecOps type mindset and apply that to our older capabilities. You know, if we fight in the Pacific uh, in the next three years, we're going to fight with uh, old platforms. Uh, we're going to fight with the B-52. We're going to fight with the B-1. We're going to fight with F-15Es. And we're going to fight with systems that have been around for a long time. So we can't discount our older systems just because we have some new and exciting systems coming. But the modernization techniques that we're developing in electronic warfare are going to enhance the lifetime and the lethality of those uh, old, quote-unquote, older platforms as we go forward. So those are, I would say, the two uh, that jump out to mind uh, immediately the most. And of course, you know, all the AIML stuff is linked directly into that. I, so I, I include AIML into that. I hate to use buzzwords, but just the amount of compute power that's out there today that's going to allow us to reach those time goals is, is just pretty fascinating and exciting to be part of. And to see those new technologies get to the field in time for the fight, one of the key things, and this goes back to your readiness, is making sure that we have the intellectual capital. And no matter what your algorithm, whatever your artificial intelligence capability is or what software, you need the people behind it all the time. And that's going to require an ever-increasing demand of understanding about operating the spectrum. You've started or you're starting a great program down there to kind of make sure everybody that comes into into the 350th is is spun up on understanding the latest. I think you're calling it the Crow College, which I fully endorse the name. As our time is is running a little bit close here, I want to give you some a moment to kind of talk a little bit about that and how important it is for the Air Force and all the services. And hopefully this is a this is something that other services are looking at closely too, because I think we need it about the Crow College and, and what you hope to see from that. 
Thank you so much. There's two most important things in the world that I need in order to be successful with this wing, that our wing needs to be successful. The first one is an integrative electronic warfare PEO to manage all of the electronic warfare requirements and make sure that we're being integrated and interoperable across our force. We have to have that. Otherwise, we'll continue to do this from a platform-based uh, approach and uh, we'll never be efficient enough to meet the timelines that we have to to beat China. So I need that, number one. Number two, I need to develop more people that understand that and can talk about that and uh, know how to fight, fly, fight, and win in the spectrum. And people are my number one thing that I focus on uh, all the time. I'm going to talk about uniform people, then I'm going to talk about our civilian workforce. Our uniform people, I'm an electronic warfare officer by trade. Right as the importance of electronic warfare is increasing in the United States Air Force, the number of electronic warfares that we're producing is decreasing as we divest platforms. We cannot afford to rely on just the electronic warfare officers. It's going to take multiple Air Force specialty codes in the officer and enlisted career forces to be deliberately developed to ensure that we have the MSO professionals that we need. And we've got to start getting our arms around that. And we really are. The Air Force is doing a good job at the, at the headquarters level to start developing this process. Locally at the Spectrum Warfare Wing, we've developed a talent management working group working alongside other wing commanders and our MAGCOMs to try to identify the right folks for key leadership positions. And I'm just really excited about deliberately developing people to assume leadership jobs. It's, it's really fascinating. And, and a thing that I would say is a little bit too late, if I'm being frank with you, I'm lucky to be here. You know, that I was not deliberately developed to lead the Spectrum Warfare Wing. There wasn't a Spectrum Warfare Wing when I was a young guy. And so I'm, I'm just fortunate and tickled to be here every day. For our civilian airmen, that makes up a third of my workforce here at Eglin right now today. It'll probably be more than that over time. Because as everyone that's listening to me knows this, the guys that are doing the hard engineering work and doing, doing the do, they've been doing it for a long time. And the way you're going to do that is with your civilian workforce. And so Crow College is a way that we've internally in our wing to use as a recruitment tool. So if you grad, when you graduate college, come join the wing. We'll teach you all about operational electronic warfare, not just a, a lab setting. And uh, then we'll develop you as a leader. So if you want to move positions within our wing over time, you're not just stuck in one job. Or if you want to leave and go do an assignment in the Pentagon on the staff or something like that, that you have a well-rounded set of capabilities and we don't just uh, pigeonhole you into a, a lab and have you doing lab work forever. So Crow College is just something we built ourselves. One of our group chief engineers, Ms. Shannon Conklin, actually is the brainchild of that. And right now we're running our first cohort through that. We have about 25 folks from across wing specialties who are learning the arts and science of leadership and also the art and science of operational electronic warfare and integrating that into uh, the large Air Force. And it's a really fascinating program. And we talk about it at all of our recruitment locations. And, it, and it's, and it's uh, hopefully will bear fruit over time. We've just started it. So I have no trend data to give you, but I know that the folks that are in it have big smiles and then finally, I believe it sounds a little different, but I really believe in having strong relationships with industry, with the primes and the smaller guys. You ha in my business, I can't keep a secret from those guys uh, because I need them to understand where we're trying to go so they can do some research and development to help build the tools that I'm going to need, my team's going to need to be successful. And so it's not just the development of the uniform members or the civilian members. But it's also development of ties with industry so they understand where Air Force CW is trying to go so that we can develop uh, integrated, interoperable capabilities and get that in the hands of the warfighter as quickly as possible. And as our time comes to an end, you know, one of the things that I know you did not agree to when you came on, but because I'm the host, I can I can do this. I'm I'm, I'm basically committing you to come back on a somewhat regular basis to keep us informed about what's going on and how things are going. But that being said, look into your crystal ball. 
2027, I guess 2028, five years from now. Could you give us a picture of where you want to see the 350th be? Manpower, size, you know, operation. Could, could you give us a glimpse of, in your vision, five years from now, where do you want to be? Well, first, absolutely. I'll come talk to the AOC anytime you guys ever ask. Uh, 100% no questions asked. I look forward to the opportunity. Five years from now, I think we'll be ready to go and be able to execute our operating concepts and support our joint force commanders. We have an exercise that we're building here called Rapid Raven that will work to operationalize all of the concepts that I talked to you about and make those real concepts in order to uh, support the warfighter. We are already integrating in Red Flag and the Air Force's highest end exercises and the Joint Forces exercises. So I think that what you'll see in five years is the development of the TTPs and a greater awareness of the Air Force of what the Spectrum Warfare Wing brings to the fight. And I, I think that that will be all of our organizations, I think will be built by that point. You never know. You never stop growing. You never stop uh, innovating. But I think you'll see us uh, have developed a level of mastery that has uh, surpassed our adversaries and is setting the pace for electronic warfare in the joint coalition environment. And I can't wait to see what these crows do down here at the Spectrum Warfare Wing. It's a it's a phenomenal organization with stacked with phenomenal people. Uh, it's come along and maybe a little late, but it's uh, skyrocketing up into the ozone and uh, just a just a, a dream job. And I, I love working with these people every day. Yeah, your, your your growth plan that you know we were discussing is just absolutely amazing and, and very encouraging. You know, yeah, maybe maybe late, maybe we this could have been done five years ago, but we're here now, and I think you have a, a great plan moving forward. Last question. It's October 2023. We're going to be down uh, in Warner Robins here at the end of the month. And then I think the next time many of the people in the AOC will hear from you will be at our 60th annual symposium and convention here at the uh, uh, National Harbor Gaylord Resort, uh, December 11th to the 13th. Uh, you're going to be there. What are a couple of your goals for attending that that show? What do you want to accomplish? And basically tell those that are listening to the show that may not have registered for the event yet, but uh, you know now they're thinking about it because of, 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 of listening to you. What do you want to tell them about what to expect from your perspective as a commander of 350th? Go, right? If, especially if you're a young crow, a young military member, the AOC is just a phenomenal organization and uh, you have a professional responsibility as an electronic warfare officer or someone who works in the spectrum, if you're in the military, to develop your whole professional skill set. And uh, we didn't talk about spectrum management today. We didn't talk a lot about hardware today. We didn't talk about lasers at all today. We didn't talk about IR at all today. But all of that will be at the AOC's national headquarters. And so go and talk to the people that work on these things and develop your professional skill set because it will make you a better officer, leader, civilian, et cetera. So it's just, it's a phenomenal opportunity. Uh, besides the learning things and the panels that you guys have, which are just phenomenal, uh, the networking with people are, are great. You know, I actually spend most of my time either talking with folks from industry or across the military or just old, old crows that uh, were squadron commanders and now are past national presidents. You know, it's a, it's a great place to catch up with people that work in our profession and understand what the AOC brings. And then, you know, I would also say that the the opportunity to go talk with the industry teams that are there supporting the AOC is second to none. And the thing I would end with is what I think is really the most special part of the AOC is the awards where we'll see a civilian and joint personnel being awarded for A, for lifetime achievement in the spectrum, all the way down to uh, things that they just accomplished in, in one year. And just 
amount of education and give back that the AOC provides is just phenomenal. I've just always enjoyed being a member. And uh, I feel really strongly that it's my personal professional responsibility to be an active member as well. And the national convention is is incredible. And for the military folks, I, they make it easy on you to go. So we'll just leave it at that. You mentioned the awards. And, and I, I think that that is one of the maybe underappreciated aspects of, of what AOC does. I, I know a few years ago, before COVID, uh, we had Congressman Don Bacon speak at the convention. And of course, he was a former uh, group commander of 55th, a compass call guy himself. And his key point was how important the awards are for the officers and particularly junior officers trying to build a career and how important that is to, to move them forward. So I appreciate you mentioning that. I think it's a, it's a great aspect of what we offer. But with that, I wanted to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us here. In your last remark, you mentioned a few items that we did not get to. And so I'll look forward to having you back uh, on the show at some point here to, to, to kind of touch on some of those. But thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to see you down at Robbins Air Force Base on 25 October. And then we'll see you again in December uh, for the national convention. Uh, thank you so much, Mr. Miller. I really appreciate your time. It's been awesome. I look forward to just hopping on the podcast with you again. It was great. Thank you so much. That will conclude this episode of From the Crow's Nest. I want to thank Colonel Josh Kosloff for joining me. As I mentioned, AOC will be at the activation ceremony taking place at Warner Robins next week, so stay tuned to our show for more insight into that event. Also, don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners, so please take some time to let us know how we're doing. That's it for today. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at FTCN Host. Thanks for listening. FastLabs, powered by BAE Systems, is at the forefront of advanced technology and defense research, development, and production. They're pushing boundaries, breaking barriers, and innovating for a safer world. Check them out at www.baesystems.com/fastlabs.